Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. You know, Gibson makes some really fine guitars. But when it comes to bluegrass music, there's nothing like the Gibson Brothers. Hey, I had a blast interviewing both Eric and Lee. They're well-respected in the bluegrass community, and we get to learn their backstory and some other really interesting stuff. So let's have a listen to their song, What a Difference a Day Makes. What a difference a day makes How could the whole thing fall apart You were my pride and joy And now you left me in the dark Goodbye happiness I never thought I'd born to break Yesterday you loved me Oh, what a difference a day made You know, 24 hours had the power to make me blue Turn the world so wrong that I can't go on No matter what I do I wanna fall real deep in a dream and sleep Where there ain't no truth And pretend today is yesterday And I still had you What a difference a day makes How could the whole thing fall apart? Pride and joy, and now you left me in the dark. Goodbye, happiness. I never thought I'd born to break. Yesterday you loved me. Oh, what a difference a day makes. Gibson brothers have achieved a level of success doing things their own way. All they want to do is write, sing, and perform on stage. Their peers see them as superb entertainers, and they have been justified by a famed crop of producers. I'm so happy to welcome Eric and Lee Gibson to the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome, guys. 
Thanks for having us. Cool. So that that was Lee who said thank you, and I got a head nod from Eric. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I didn't want to talk at the same time. I'm trying not to interrupt him. Oh, uh, it's all right. It's okay. Hey, great to have you guys. Um, so you're in in the bluegrass and the catch-all Americana genre. Uh, I started listening to your music. You got a new album coming out, but it may already be out. My apologies. But let's talk about I'm I'm so interested in families, wives and husbands and brothers who play music together. Like, when did it all start for you guys as far as picking up instruments and saying, hey, we can do this? And whoever wants to go first, you can pick and choose. We'll let Eric go ahead. Um, Well, we grew up on a dairy farm in northern New York, um, about two miles from the Canadian border. Uh, And my father and mother both loved music, though neither of them played. Um, And my dad, there there were always instruments in the house, you know. Uh, He'd order a banjo or pick up a fiddle at an auction or order a guitar. (laughs) Um, But nobody played, and I think he always hoped that somebody would. And then when we were 12 and 11, there was a guy named Eric O'Hara who now plays music with us a lot um, all these years later, who was giving lessons at Dick's Country Store um, about seven miles from the farm, a music store. And um, Mm -hmm. we came home from school one afternoon and dad was sitting at the kitchen table and he said, uh, I want one of you to learn the banjo. I want you to learn the guitar. I want you to try. Um, we're starting lessons next week. <laughs> so we already had the instruments there. So I chose the banjo and Lee chose the guitar. And it's that's how it started. Wow. Interesting. So what what's the age difference between the two of you guys? 11 months. Yeah, you know what? That's that's just like my brother and I. So so you got the built-in competition uh, and there was no right of refusal, I guess, in doing it. So uh was there a competition between you in learning the instruments? I'm curious about that. I, I don't. I don't think at that time we had any competition. Uh, you know, I mean, there's always there's always, I guess, sort of, you know, uh, a benign kind of competition with everything. But we didn't. You know, I never felt that in music at all. Like I had, I got to get better than him or anything like that. Right. You know? Right. Well, well I was thinking you know, he's, getting, he's yeah. getting pretty good. I better. I better keep practicing. You know, I think there was that. You know, I don't. I don't want him to leave me in the dust. You know, I felt that way. I, I, I just wanted to be good. I, and he was getting good. I want to get good at it. All right, that's that's kind of cool. So, at what point? You know, I think it's great, especially when you're uh, in adolescence, where you grab something, grab an instrument, and you start woodshedding it. You got the energy. You got the dedication. And uh, you kind of get that hook. For me, it was different. It started later in life, and it was just like I took up the guitar. It was like too damn hard for me. You know, I got past the three chords, and I was like I sat the guitar down for a while until I was able to uh, get on YouTube and guitar tabs and stuff like that because me, it was more of a visual thing. If somebody could show me it, I could do it. And then uh, later in life, I, t- I took lessons because I felt very ignorant about uh, the notes on the neck and, and that sort of thing. When did you um when did you go from playing the instrument to start writing the songs? I'm curious about that. It, it took a little while um for that to happen. I I mean, I was 12 and Lee was 11 when um when we first started playing and I think I was 15 when I 
tried writing a song for the first time. I don't know how old you were late, but I didn't write anything that was worth keeping yeah. for for several years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think you recognize the mimic, you know, in your writing. I think we're trying to, you know, you're writing somebody else's song all the time in a poorer version right. of it, you know, uh, initially. But I think I was 18 to answer your question, Eric. I think I was closer to 18 before I even tried to write a song. Now, was it always like in a in the country vein, or um, like what were your influences early on? Yeah, for me, it was <laughs> yeah, it was uh, country music and bluegrass music. Um, I was probably pretty narrow. I'm, it wasn't probably. I was very narrow minded <laughs> early <laughs> on, and that lasted for quite a while. Um, I was. Well, you would chat. I remember you would chastise me for this, some of the stuff I was listening to a little bit. You know, yeah, like Lee, Lee would bring bit. something in when we got out on the road. If the guys were, were bringing in something that wasn't bluegrass or hardcore country, I'd kind of, you know, I didn't like it. I, I'm, I it wasn't who I wanted to be. And I, my, my feeling was we should be listening to Merle Haggard and and uh, Flat and Scruggs, and that, you know, that's who I want to be. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. that's what i was thinking and um but as i got older you know i my my horizons expanded and i i've listened to more stuff i listen to a lot of different stuff now yeah what, what i found interesting so i used to travel in canada and you guys are really close to the canadian border and when i first traveled this is going back 30 years i was really kind of surprised about the country music influence throughout canada itself you know, that really kind of broadened out uh, from there. And that had to come over the border to you guys, too, I would assume. More of, um, I don't know, a home field type of music, would you say? Yeah, the, the fiddle was a big instrument okay. in Canada, you know, like and it's a big instrument in Appalachian music as well. So it kind of fit. You know, we were trying to play bluegrass and, and we didn't go south to find uh, people to play with. We turned northward okay. initially because it was somehow easier canada to fiddle contest to run into people and they there were a few people that have a banjo and stuff they didn't really play what we would consider bluegrass but they had the instruments and were trying and and uh and there were fiddles you know so there were just enough people there that knew old country music and it would lead you to a jam session on a tuesday night in a house someplace in quebec that they'd say every every second tuesday they do this you know and, and so we'd show up as mom would drive us over there we we're too young right. to drive and uh, go in and start playing and singing with these folks. And they didn't speak a lot of English, um, but they sang in English. And so we all were just had a love of music, you know. And that's, I would say, Eric, that's correct, oh, right? Yeah. That's kind of the first. And I would say if we were doing. CBC uh, was, a, was an influence. We didn't have many channels, but we had the, uh, what is that, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, right, CBC? Right. But the yeah. Tommy Hunter show had country music every Friday night and they'd have um, American country people come up, but also really good co- uh, Canadian country artists on there. And then we, and we'd see people like Gordon Lightfoot on, on CBC uh. Ian Tyson, you know, so many great songwriters from Canada, Stan, Stan Rogers, I think maybe we saw there the first time. I, yeah. Um, well, I mean, they, before we came along, you'd already had, Sort of the exodus, like Stephen Stills, Joni Mitchell, uh, Neil Young, it are, they were already stars, you know, by the time we were aware of what music right. even was. Uh, and there's an interesting thing in Canada, they, at least they used to have to, I think it was two thirds of the 
the uh, material they played on their broadcasts had to be Canadian content, meaning the writer or the singer had to be Canadian. So you're, you know, you heard a lot of their artists. They weren't playing just American stuff because it was more right, popular, right. you know, uh, you know, but it's, it, it was, it was a very interesting place to grow up. And, um, you know, it, the limit of, we don't have the exposure, obviously kids have today, but, it's almost like where we grew up, Eric, we're maybe 10 or 15 years behind where I live now or say Long Island. You're 20 years behind technology or the uh, sort of exposure to different genres or anything, you know, we're, cultures. So we're, we're kind of like Napoleon Dynamite a little bit, you know, <laughs> feeding the llamas. Kip and Napoleon. Well, you, we you were know, isolated. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? I actually look at that as a benefit. And uh, especially when you said you go to Quebec, which is Quebec City is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, I think. Very European. And bridging that gap with music, uh, breaking over the language barriers is pretty interesting, you know. So even though you yeah. might feel isolated, I think you had a really unique exposure one, to cross the border into another culture and sing with people, which I, I think is fantastic. And the other thing I picked up on, and I did business in Canada, uh, in particularly Montreal, and I remember they were pointing out, you know, the difference between the French and the English, that the uh, the French um, words on a sign had to have a larger font. So there was that, um, hey, we want to uh, – I look at it this way. Hey, we want to retain our culture. Uh, and retain our identity. Uh, so you, you saying that on CBC they'd had to have Canadian uh, musicians and artists. I can see why it it it, it makes sense. You know, well, you think about how much of their population or what a, what a percentage of their population lives within fifty miles of the U.S. border. You could be overwhelmed without doing something. Absolutely. Like that. So you know the big centers are Toronto's not far from Buffalo. Windsor's right there next to next to Detroit, right. you know? So I think it was a good idea. Yep. Then. So let me ask you, so now, just so I can get a timeline. So you're in teens and you, uh, you would check your, your craft. You're writing a song here or there. You're traveling across the border. Mom's driving to drop you off in a foreign country. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm sure my mom wanted to do that a few times for me. But when did you, <laughs> when did you, when did you hit the road and say, you know, we want to be musicians, you know, we want to, uh, and was there a big break because I assume it was a family business with the dairy farm for you to go out and do this. It happened gradually. You know, um, Lee and I had no uh, no idea that we'd one day be trying to do it for a living. I don't. I I became a teacher. Lee was thinking about getting into law. Hmm. Um, but we just kept. We we started a band and we started playing mostly the New England festival circuit. And we started getting pretty popular in that circuit. They treated us great. Um, and each year, it felt like we were getting further away from home. You know? Okay. Um, to the point where I was, uh, I was in California given a dur during finals week. Uh, you know, I'm thinking I need to make a decision here. I mean, I should be, if I'm a good teacher, I should be in my classroom administering this final. And I'm in California playing a bluegrass festival and and uh by that point i was 28 i think lee was 27 right around there 27 or 26 we were right in that range and and um and i decided mm -hmm. to 
get a year's leave of absence from teaching. Wow. And we went for it. You know, we, we, we said, this is what we're going to do. And um, pretty much that's what we've done. And, uh, but it's, you know, it took, it took, it took a while. I don't know that there's ever been that, that huge break. It, it, it happened. What do you think, Lee? Have we ever had a huge break that, like success by a thousand cuts, <laughs> you know. Like it's a everyone. What was your bit? What was the break? What was this? And I don't. I've never recognized one. It's always been. They're always they're nice surprises along the way, but they don't. You know, you can't let that account for all of the success that you have. Or um, it's a lot of a million little things that happen along the way. One person hears you here, and they have some influence and some, you know, and, and it just kind of goes like that. You know, we never had, you know, we never had a record put out and it, you know, we're, when we were younger and it, we were allotted, but we, and everything mm. just happened, you know, that, you know, so because it was such a, uh, I don't want to say a struggle. It was, it was such a, an effort to climb up that hill coming from where we were coming and without any blueprint, we're not coming out of anybody else's band. We just started this thing and we're trying to figure this all out. Um, you know, I feel like because it was such a slow climb, we were prepared for when things don't always go your way in your career, sure. which will happen. There's ups and downs, you know, but um, I'm sometimes glad that I wasn't that act that just jumped on the scene. And everything was great and easy because it, it was it wouldn't prepare you for right. downtime. What I find interesting, too, is when you use the analogy of climbing the hill or the mountain, you know, in your career. And uh, I always was mistaken in the people that I've interviewed. And I, there's a thousand stories of, of people who've, what I'd say, reached the crossroads. You know, they, they, they took a big shot and now, hey, you know what? I'm starving. I got to, you know, go to plan B. I, I still love music, but I just can't do this. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad time, but it's, it's a tough decision. And if you could blend the two still do what you love in music and yeah. yet, you know, still teach and, and these other things, uh, you're climbing, you're still climbing the mountain. You, you haven't, uh, you know, headed for the beach. Yeah, sure. No, if you can do that, I mean, I, I, I don't have any disrespect for anybody who walks away from it. That's everybody's sure. own personal decision. Yep. You know, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more talented people than me that have hung it up, you know, over the course right. of music history. Uh, there's 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 no no shame in that either. It's just not what I've decided to do. Hey, let me let me switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the song that our audience heard. What a difference! Uh, and tell us a little bit about that, about the new album that it's on, uh, and then we'll let, uh, we'll jump to a couple other things. Sure. Uh, what a difference today make. I uh, I wrote that um, a couple a few years ago. Just started it. The melody came to me while we were backstage at a bluegrass mm. festival. And just started, you know, one of those things that sort of just hits you and you start humming it in your head and didn't have any lyrics to go with it and went home and it didn't take a tremendous amount of time to write, you know. It's just kind of a fun song. And I, I just kind of heard, when I was writing, I sort of heard Del McCurry in my head a little okay. bit when I was writing it. and um, uh, But we recorded it. So it sounds more like nice. me. Nice, I guess. Um, but it's it's fun. I mean, it's it's a it's kind of a high energy song, and it's it's not really complicated, and doesn't 
doesn't solve the world's problems, but makes people smile a bit. So that's that's hey, that, that brings healing to the world too. You know, if you can bring a smile to my face in a song, it's going to make my day a little bit better. So I got I got a question. From that time you wrote that song, has anything changed with how you approach writing music? Are you purposeful to say, hey, we're going to sit down and bang out a song, or is it really as the muse hits you and over the course of time, or is it a mix of both? It may be different for the both of you. I'm not sure. Go ahead, Eric. Well, he's asked, you wrote that song. So, I mean, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like songwriting with, with groups of people too, or, or other people. I enjoy that. Um, and I tend not to be quite as slow when I'm writing with other people. When I write with myself, uh, by myself, typically, it takes me a long time to finish mm-hmm. things up. Uh, I don't know that I'm really critical. I'm trying to be perfect. I don't know. But if I sit and write with Eric and, and someone else, it, it usually happens rather fast. And I really like the results, too. Um, and I, we don't typically go in. We've tried to go in with an idea that you've started, you know, a concept or beginnings of a song. And I typically always walk away disappointed because it becomes something else than you thought it was gotcha. when you walked in there. And to be fair, that's the purpose of collaboration is to make something that's a piece of everybody. So now we, we kind of go in with a blank slate and just we, we'll be talking and something will come up and we'll nice. write around that. Nice. So let me ask you this. You you went the festival route. You worked the Northeast, I assume. How did you find how did you get to Nashville and, and how did you start making those connections? How did that happen? How did we get to Nashville? Well, that was kind of like a. <laughs> It's sort of a fairy tale, you know, where we come from, Nashville's Nashville, you know, like a like far off place that nobody goes to. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> it's, it's more like the Wizard of Oz these days for sure. <laughs> then I found out you could call up this guy that had this place in town and try to book a gig. So we did. We had because we had a festival in Mississippi and one in Texas, and I was like, Well, let's try to play in Nashville. I think that was the first time, wasn't it? It was. Because I remember we had a buddy, a guy named Roy Hurd, who had a songwriting deal with Warner Chapel, or maybe it was Sony by that time. But he wrote for several years down there on staff. And he's from the North Country of New York, like we are. And we said, well, let's, we got to Nashville and we're in a day's in, all sharing one room. There's four of us. <laughs> they were like, well, let's call, we all called him Poncho. Let's call Poncho and uh, let him know we're in town. So we just called up, this is before cell phones, of course. Said, hey, hey, Roy, we left the we're in Nashville. We're at the day's in. <laughs> yeah, we left the message. We're in the Nashville. We're at the Days Inn. Come see us. And uh, under the Gibson, under Gibson. So he he shows up finally. You guys do know there's like 20 Days Inn in Nashville. <laughs> we were such you know, like, we, did, we didn't know, but that, it was, we didn't know that we didn't know. No. You know, played that gig. We played that gig at a place called the Station Inn, which is still there and is one of the best music Great. spots in Nashville. Um, played the station in, and it wasn't full, but I remember it was during the NAM week, so there's probably more people than we actually deserve okay. based on our name. And guy comes up when I'm putting putting our stuff away, uh, and he said, "Man, he said your playing reminds me a lot of Clarence White." And I'm thinking, well, this guy he knows, you know, probably knows Doc Watson. He knows the name Clarence White, but it turns out it was Gene Parsons of the Birds. He wow. was in town, and. So you talk about how do you meet people? That's how you meet people. You you go play a gig someplace, and I I couldn't believe it. You know, it was really wow. cool. Lee, you know what I remember about that? 
He said, now, where are you from? What? He, he said, where are you from? We said, New York. And he goes, well, you kind of ruined it right there, but I still like it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You, you got you got to be purposeful and say, no, not New York City. <laughs> the, the nice part of New York. Yeah. We're from Canada. Yeah, that's right. Hey. I'm Canada. Yeah. Oh, man. And I tell you, it's, what's so interesting is those small circumstances that lead, you know, as you reflect back on your career, it's like that led to this, led to that, and so on and so forth. I mean, I was going through your guy's bio, and I'm like, this is like the who's who of, of the music industry. You guys really have touched – and collaborated with a lot of uh, a lot of big names out there is pretty impressive for two well, guys from upstate New York. It wasn't, it wasn't that long after that that we ended up in Nashville again, playing the Station Inn, and Tom T. Hall came to the gig, and <laughs> the Tom T. Hall, like holy moly! And and we get home, and, and for some late recently we were going back to Nashville again, and it was advertised, and I got a call from. Miss Dixie Hall, Tom T's wife, inviting us. We see you're coming to Nashville. Would you come stay with us? How what? how did that happen? Like the, the, our in Nashville in our mansion that was all wow. Annabelle place was beautiful, just like and, that. And we yeah, and we had buddies in Nashville that we were telling where we were staying, and they couldn't believe it. They're like, what? <laughs> and and we had like we had like song like a writers in the round with. I'm not lying, right? Like, I'm remembering the Tom T and you and me and well, Chris Jones. Yeah. Like Chris Jones and uh Terry Hurd was um, Yeah, we <laughs> we were picking up a banjo from a, a friend who just passed, a guy named Ron Petronco. He was a real nice guy out of Montreal and, and uh a good photographer, but he he bought a banjo from Sonny Osborne of the Osborne brothers. And he said, Will you pick it up for me? I've arranged it. You can you know, if you can go pick it up, meet him at the Opry and pick up my banjo that he's buying. Okay. So we go and we're on the guest list to get in the back to, to go in the Opry. Yeah. This is a big deal. Yeah, sure. Wow. You know, and uh, our friend Rob McCurry's wife, Lisa, was there. I remember at the Opry that night. And Sonny has us into his dressing room and starts saying, well, where are you all from? And, oh, how do you know Ron? And by being very cordial and very nice. Where are you staying? And we dropped Tom T. Hall's house. <laughs> what? Like, you must you know? be. You must be something. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. So he's like, <laughs> I remember Lisa tells me. He said, "All right." He acted like he'd heard of us. Like yeah, he yeah. liked us, you know. Like you guys are really good. And uh, then he, Lisa said, "Somebody said to me when you guys weren't around." Said, "Are they working?" <laughs> <laughs> Somebody must have said yes. <laughs> Yeah, it is funny. Uh, it's, it's just just amazing the connect the connections that you can make, and you know what? The fact that you're open yeah. to it. Yeah, I'll pick up the banjo. Why not? Sure. You know, imagine if you said yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, get yourself out there. It's it's uh, you know, it's 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 getting out there. Sometimes so that's a lot of it. Like as you're going through, as you know, as you're going through a lot of this. Things are going by so fast that maybe sometimes you don't stop to appreciate what just happened, mm. and you don't you don't even think about it till till later. And then, then then you think about what we just talked about, and maybe people listening are thinking we're lying, you know. And, and I wonder, did it really happen? No, it was there. Lee can Lee can tell you it happened. There's yeah. so many things we were witnessing. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it was early on. We we're playing, playing the station and stuff. And one of the guys that was hanging around was a guy named Dirk Bentley. Just happened to be working on a deal, you know, and, wow. and uh, nice guy. Just don't know who you're going to run into yeah, ever, and who they're going to. You know, when when we meet them, you're you don't know what they're about, and you know they could you could be they could be at the lowest depths of their career, and suddenly they're so high that you can't believe how. how yeah, famous I, t- they got, I tell you, you know? I had this guy on my program, a guy named Charlie Cullis, okay, and he's from Queens. If you listen to his music, he sounds like a thirty-year-old guy, country guy, singing. Uh, his song was uh, "Let's Bring This Party Back to My Hotel Room," right? And I'm listening to this guy, and I'm like, holy mackerel, this guy can't be from Queens, sure enough. And, you know, he did uh, songwriting in the round with all these people. He was on American Bandstand. And and the one thing I learned from Charlie and the takeaway I got is don't say no. You got to be open to so many things because you never know where that yes is going to lead you to somebody else. And that's what it sounds like for you guys. I mean, you got the talent, too. So, you know. Another. I hear some amazing stories about the no's that people that people say. Like our buddy worked for, uh, oh, the the guy. Uh, oh, I can't. I just went blank. Ben Surratt, uh the work that he worked oh, Ray for uh, Ray, Ray Stevens. Oh, you sure. know, the, the yeah, and he, uh, he the stuff that Ray said no to in his career. He said didn't want to be involved in. Uh, Raindrops keep falling oh, on my head for Sundance Kid. And the other one was he was supposed to be the guy in the Big Lebowski instead of Jose Feliciano, you know, where where, where they're, they're at the show, you know. He said, those, how was I to know what the, those things were going to be so big, you know, but wow. he said no. So you, you, you say you got to be open to things that even if you're not right. certain. Exactly. Of hey, let's do this, guys. Let's just take a quick break. And we come back, we're going to explore – I'm really interested in your thoughts on the Nashville of yesteryear and how Nashville is today. I'm interested on your take on that. So hang with us, everybody. We'll be right back with the Gibson Brothers. At the Long Island Sound, we're much more than a podcast. We're building a community. Please go to gigdestiny.com. Check out all our social media links. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Please comment. Call the listener line. Tell us what you think, what questions we should ask, who we should have on the show. And most of all, we thank you for your generous support. And remember, support the artists who are guests on the show. Now back to the podcast. Hey, everybody. We are back with Eric and Lee Gibson. Gibson's your real name. It's not a stage name, right? No, it's our real name. That's real name. Okay. Be a great stage name, too. Uh, we were talking about Nashville, but before we get into that, I just want to tell the audience that everyone we talk about, I'm going to have uh, some information in the chapter marks. So if something strikes your fancy, you could look to that when you're not driving and listening to the podcast and get more information. Also, you'll have the links to uh, the Gibson Brothers music on uh, Spotify, as well as their website. Got a lot of great stuff and a, a couple of nice videos. So we were talking about Nashville. I'm just curious uh, about the Nashville when you guys first got there and the Nashville of today. What has changed for better or for worse? Okay, that's a loaded question. Anybody can take it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, when we first went to Nashville, it, it almost felt like you could always find where you were in town because you could see the Bell South Tower. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'm a directional sure. kind of guy. But – 
they've done so much development and so much uh so many high rises that i i never know where i am in town anymore like naturally you know um but it's it used to seem to be like music was the maybe it's because we were naive and young but music was a huge focus of that town but it's the and particularly the music tourism but it doesn't seem so much that way as as it as it used to does that make does that seem like your take on it as well eric i mean well it seems it has to do more than it does the music i i don't know if it if we changed a lot or if it changed a lot or both um but it, <laughs> it there's just so many more people there now i mean it, it's um you really have to um be strategic in, in getting from point A to point B. Um, the traffic's just horrible. Um, I still love going to Nashville, but it, it just it's changed a whole lot. And um, and we're not there enough. We're not experts on Nashville by any means. We're 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 not there every week. We're, you know, we get there a few times a year now. And I always I always look forward to being there, and I always have a good time there, and feel like we make inroads while we're there. But um, it's a different town, you know, it's different. It's way different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. It's almost, I went there last year as a non-musician and it, it became very much like Disneyland to a certain extent, a lot of bridesmaids running around and it's just, it's a busy, busy town. In fact, we had a, we yeah. went with a bunch of other couples and we had a, a couples go like a month before to scout things out for us because we wanted to go to certain places. And uh, I like offbeat places, you know, not not on the main strip, not a tourist trap, that sort of thing. We went to this place, uh, Martin's Barbecue. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I've heard. Yeah, it looks like a little takeout place in the front. And the thing opens up to this just beautiful bar with uh, great music. And that was uh, that was a hoot. We had a really a really good time doing that. So um, so um, what are you guys doing now Um, as far as uh, well, let me backtrack take that back how did covid and quarantine affect you with music writing and and uh you know not being able to play and and how'd you handle it what'd you do i eric was a lot more uh, productive than than i was i kind of i didn't really write much during the whole pandemic you know i've got to admit wrote a few things but everything came out sour and you know negative uh (laughs) Eric, Eric took the horns and wrote a lot of stuff with other writers as well. Wrote good stuff, you know. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, you're welcome. Um, so he was more productive in that front. Um, it was, I, I think I've found that for me, being around other musicians, I get inspired by them, you know. Like a lot of the stuff I've written that I've, I've really liked over the last few years. It'll be at a music camp or something where you're teaching with other people for a week and you just get very musical. Um, and perhaps in my everyday life with everything else going on, just our own touring stuff, I don't feel that way. And it doesn't mean that the guys I don't I tour with aren't musical. I have a lot of other responsibilities when I'm doing that other than just sitting in the same place for a week. Right. You know, and I have three hours of hotel time in the morning when I first wake up that I'm not interrupted. And I just feel like, yeah, a lot of stuff comes out. So uh, COVID stumped, man. I hated it. Yeah, it's like the world stopped yeah. for two years, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But there's, like you said, there's been both sides of it. There are people very prolific with their creativity. Yeah. And inspired. Yeah, I was kind of early on in COVID being mopey, 
you know, like, what am I going to do? And, and mm. my wife said, treat, treat this time off as a job. Treat your writing like a job. Get up in the morning and write. Treat that like your job. This is your job now. And so I took that to heart. I'm like, what else am I going to do? I raised chickens. We kept bees. And I wrote songs. And my wrote songs with my son. My son is in his uh, mid-20s. And loves music so much that it's, it's inspiring to me. And he always wants to write. Want to write, Dad? And so it's hard to say no to your kid. You know, like there have been times yeah, sure. when, I, when he'd say, um, "Dad, want to write one?" And, and I don't feel like it. And he'd say, "What have you lost your fire?" Because oh man! I've said that to him before. He turned it on me. Of course. And I, what am? What are you going to do when somebody says, "Have you lost your fire?" You get your butt. You get your guitar and you start trying to write a you start trying to write a song and they're not all all going to be home runs but you write enough of them once in a while you're going to bang out a good one. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like you know exercising. Sometimes we need that little coach who's going to say, "Yeah, get your ass off the couch and let's do something." Yes. Yeah, yeah the, he, we can feed the chickens later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's talk about the second song that you brought. I go driving. Tell me a little bit about that, and let the we'll let the audience get a listen to it. Well, Lee talked about he, Lee likes to write in the morning, and and I do too. My mind, my mind seems to be sharper in the morning. Um, but this is one of the only songs I've ever written at night, and it was a it was a COVID song. It was feeling stir crazy, wanting to get out of the house, and I went for a ride, and I drove on the back roads of home. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I love, we grew up 15 miles away and I just, I just was driving and listening to old country music and just trying to pretend that things were good again. And, okay. and it, that song started coming and I, um, I, I came through the kitchen door and my wife started talking. I said, I, I gotta go. I gotta go upstairs. I gotta write. I gotta get this down. And I, and it, that's how it, that song happened. Wow. Excellent. All right. Let's take a listen to I Go Driving and we'll be right back after the song. Check it out, everybody. When I go driving down the roads I know by heart, when I go driving, I feel better in the dark. In the light it hurts too much To see what isn't there today In the dark I can pretend that I'm okay As I'm riding I sing songs I know by heart As I'm riding I love every single part Of good old boys like me Who eyes crying in the rain Is it wrong that I find pleasure in the pain? See, I'm traveling back in time To a land to make believe Where the farms are going strong And my father's still with me Where the silos in the shadows And the barns are full of feed Where there's hope in farmers' eyes And folks who know their needs When I go driving I'm dreaming Drifting down those country lanes Yes, I'm dreaming Thinking things can be the same 
I'm looking at the past I'm trying not to stare Reaching for a life that isn't there You see I'm traveling back in time To a land to make believe Where the farms are growing strong And my father's still with me Where the silos in the shadows And the barns are full of feed Where there's hope in farmers' eyes And folks who know their needs When I go driving was a really great song. Uh, you know what I find interesting, Eric and Lee, is a lot of the artists that I talk to when it comes to writing music, a lot of them, whether it's on a tour bus or what have you, when they've got that road time, the muse kind of gets to them, you know, where they're kind of in that bubble and, and go driving. So I found it interesting in the lead into the song, you said, you just went for a drive and you came back and told your wife, hey, I got to write this down. You know, I think that's great. It's really cool. What I'm really interested to, I was reading your guys' bio, and I tell you, everybody listening to this, by the way, go to the chapter marks. You'll see all the people we're talking about. And let me tell you, the people you guys worked with are like the who's who of the music business. And I was just like, oh, my God, I didn't realize these guys were as famous as they are, you know. But I'm interested on how a lot of these connections came about, how you feel that, you know, how did that benefit you and, and helped uh, uh, form your music and, and what you deliver? I, I mean, early on, you know, once we got going, it, it just felt um, that our heroes, some of our heroes were drawn to us. You know, it's like they, they rec- I think maybe wow. they recognized that in our music that they could hear how much we love them, you know, through our, through our music, that we were inspired by them and, um, like Ricky Skaggs uh, coming up to us after a show telling us how much he liked our singing and wanted to do a record with us. So we made a record with him in the early 2000s. That, well, it's never come out, but we still did it. And we sure. and, and everybody in Bluegrass knew we were doing it. And I think that put a light on us a little bit and showed people that, well, if Skaggs thinks they're good, they must be pretty good. You know, and these guys, right. these guys uh, know Tom T. Hall. Tom T. Hall... Did a, a speak uh, a recitation on one of their albums. Uh, they know Tom T. Hall, and it and it just grows. It grows from there. And you're working hard. You're getting better as a band. You're getting better as singers and writers. And you're meeting. You're rubbing elbows with your heroes. And and you know I, I think that's how you know that happens. We first first record we made in Nashville. Uh, we met Dave Ferguson, and he wasn't. I mean. He, he he's a legend now, but back then he was he was uh, the second engineer. At the, what's that? I said we had to be told his credibility back then because we we didn't know, you know. Right. But now everybody 
now knows. Now, now he's one of the hottest producers in Nashville, and and 18 years later, he remembered us and wanted to do a record. And then when we did the record in 2018, it was supposed to be with Dave Ferguson, and he said he we get a call from our manager, and he says, um, Dave's buddy Dan Arbach of the Black Keys wants to be involved. Is that okay? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, that's we'll right. Lee, we'll what do you think? That. Is that okay, Lee? Oh, yeah, that's okay. I actually said, I'll have to run it by Eric. <laughs> yeah, Lee did. He called me up. I said, what? Why are you asking me? Like, yeah, he called you first, right? You know, you, you yeah. can't be the easy girl in the party all the time. Sometimes you got to pull back, <laughs> you know. You got to pull. No. You think about, I, I think about this, like when we were working with Ricky, uh, Ricky's then manager it had uh, Ricky had hired his then manager's brother-in-law to set up his studio, and he was he was a young guy, and set up the board, all the off-board stuff, and and he he was the studio manager, and he heard a lot of stuff. And Eric and I would go in there on days that they didn't have us tracking and go make like song demos with this guy, and we had a great time. And you know, you go ahead a dozen years or 15 years and he and his brother uh his name's alex anders and his brother's named adam they wind up doing a little show called glee where they do all the music production and and all the all the recording for it and they you know they do all kinds of stuff like that in hollywood and you never know who you're going to meet and and it's it hasn't put us on abc television or anything like that but it was a great it's a great story you know there's another one that uh, you know these sort of happenstance meetings of professionals in the music industry and, and they go on to big things. Well, you, you, know? you know, there's an old saying, you know, the all boats rise with the rising tide, you know, and the fact that you get that, you know, Ricky Skaggs giving you credibility, but just saying, Hey, worked with you, whether the album gets produced or not, you know, boom, your credibility goes up and people start to talk about you. And and there's one, of the, and I'm just going to make an observation. You, you two guys are really nice guys. And that, and oh, that, and, and that comes through and, I would assume that, and you know, people are people, right? You know, and you get to meet them and you're talking like they're your neighbor down the block. That to me carries a lot of weight of they're not divas. They're, you know, they're not so full of themselves. They're regular guys with talent. I mean, I, I'm sure if you've asked people go, you know, what, what attracted you to us or whatever, they're going to say, yeah, you, you guys know what you're doing. You're good. And we like you, <laughs> you know, that's a factor. Absolutely. It's got to play into it. I would think, you know. Well, thank well, you. Thank you. Very kind of you. I, I, I could be totally wrong, of course, but you know, yeah, you, know, you're, 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 <laughs> you haven't known us that long, so yeah, I know, you know, but uh, I'll find out. I have a way. <laughs> so you have these connections, and and it seems like one gets introduced to another. Tell me about the album that you got coming out in January. Um, you know, were all the songs written around the same time? How did how did things come about? And who and who picked the title, by the way? Uh, who did the title? I think you did. Did I? Well, it makes sense for my ego. <laughs> um, all the songs were written around the same time. We, we, you know, we had this thing where we we wanted to do a record, and and uh, you know, we we're, were friends with we became friends with a hero, another hero, a guy named Jerry Douglas, who's one of the world's best guitar players, plays resophonic guitar, and he's he's on all the records we always liked growing up and, mm. and since. Um, makes great records, and he decided he would work with us. So 
uh, Jerry just told us to send them everything we'd written that we hadn't recorded. So we just, so we did wow. a, a lot of, a lot of stuff that hadn't made other records due to content parallels, you know, something it's like another song or we, at least we saw it that way. Right. Uh, or it was just, we didn't think we could tackle it uh, musically the way we wanted to at the time. And uh, half of the record was made the first week of the pandemic, like uh, March 16th or 17th through 20th. Uh, and then we had to stop and we came back and finished, finished recording in February of 21. So did you do, uh, let uh, me and, interrupt you. Did you do it in person or was it all remote at that point? Or then you switched to remote? No, no, we were in person. Okay. We, we just, now so little was known about what was going right, on. Right, I remember. Yeah. We were having gigs canceled, but uh, we had a studio time scheduled for months. And everybody was thinking, ah, things just shut down for a couple of weeks. You know? Yeah. And Jerry's like, we'll make a little bubble and we'll, you know, just, you guys, we'll just be honest with each other. We're just going to stay in this little circle of people, which is what we did. But it just felt wrong after a while being there, you know, that it was time to get home. And uh, so we, we went back in February of 21 and uh, finished the recording. What studio? Uh, we started it. We've done several projects at the place called the Sound Emporium. It has a couple of rooms. Uh, did a lot of records there in the early 2000s. And then this is the first time we'd really been back there, Eric, since then, right? Yeah. And we did uh, did that first half there with an engineer named Shawnee Gandhi, who's She's uh, Shani's from, isn't she from like Ithaca or something? Or she went to Ithaca College. So. She's, she's from New Zealand or something. Isn't oh yeah, she's from New Zealand. That's that, that's I that's, that's easy to confuse. Yeah. Yes, you know that New Zealand <laughs> accent. I would, uh, yeah, yeah. I went to she was awesome, that. man. Name dropper. Um, she, she's a wicked engineer. We did the second half at is it Mountainside Studios? Name of Bill's place. Uh, Bill Horndick. Uh, yeah. And it's Bill's last project. Bill passed away, uh, sadly, last mm. year, or earlier this year. Um, I it, think it's the it last great. project that Bill probably mixed, and Bill did a lot of great things. Wow. So, anyway, that's that was sort of the the recording, you know, the uh, timeline. Nice. And it's called The Darkest Hour. Real yeah, upbeat. It's just darkest hour. hour, isn't it? Yeah, we hope. The, yeah. the darkest There's hour. No, okay. the, just darkest hour. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Very good. It's the name of a song I wrote. Gotcha. Hey, let's talk about yeah. the third song that uh, is on the album. Uh, a minute, one minute of you. Tell me about that, and then we'll have a listen to it. Well, that's one that I wrote after we, after the, uh, I think after the pandemic started or right at the beginning of it, maybe because we didn't, we didn't cut it in that first set of songs. Uh, but it's when I wrote about my daughter, I sort of recognized that she was, when she was real young, she was very, very shy. Mm. And, uh, and then she became such an active, upbeat, bubbly, happy, do everything kind of kid, you know, right. which I never would have, you know? And so it's a song I wrote about her. Nice. All right. Well, let's listen to One Minute of You. We'll be right back after the song. Now, babe, I know there comes a day, but I don't want to give away one minute of you. I see your eyes are big and 
bright Giving everything all your mind You got your heart and all you do And I know That wanting to won't stop time But I wish it would And i be on every little hill you climb If I only could Hey, everybody, we are back with the Gibson Brothers. Really appreciate that song about your daughter. So tell me, guys, what do you got coming up uh, in January to support the album? Well, the record comes out on the 27th, and I think right right close to that date, we started running shows in New England in the Northeast, and then we head down through the Carolinas. And I know we're working in Nashville, and dates keep changing you know they can find something that works a little better than they had than they'd had on hold it kind of so they, they sort of change in a little bit because we're a little ways out it's mostly small theater and club stuff right now uh, but you know it's a, some of the rooms you haven't really played so it's kind of kind of curious as to what to expect gotcha. as well you know but it'd be fun to play the what's, your, what's your website guys gibsonbrothers.com Gibsonbrothers.com. No relation to the guitar manufacturer, no. right? Well. Oh, come on. Really? No. Yes? No? He's from, uh, Orville Gibson's from Chateauguay, New York, which is where Eric is talking to you from practically. Right Seven now. miles from where we grew up. Uh, we're not descendants of his, but he's probably a distant cousin from. I'm thinking yeah. Ancestry.com. You know, just, I'm just saying. That's what I would do. Our uncle is a, a genealogy freak, and he's never been able to. He's not from the same line of Gibsons that we were in this country, so it would have to be something that predates leaving the British Isles. You know, gotcha. So, no money for the Eric and Leeds. Uh, just guys got to keep pumping it out there and putting out great music. That's all you, you know. Uh, people around here are under our own name. Yeah, anymore. I know, right? To, oh well, to our old <laughs> and. Uh... All right. So we'll keep it a mystery. You could be you related. Never, we'll keep it a mystery. How's that? 
<laughs> oh, what was that story you were telling me that the Gibson Guitar Company got in some trouble with some imported Brazilian yeah. rosewood, and it was all over the papers? You yeah, know? Oh, I remember that. They got seized by the, the whatever. Yeah. Well, his Eric's father-in-law was having coffee at the local diner, and, and he heard some guys talking about, well, those Gibson <laughs> boys certainly got themselves in some trouble now, didn't they? Yeah, my father-in-law, my father-in-law says, you better get your facts straight, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kicking some ass in upstate wow. New York. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I believe it. Hey guys, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I really want to get All you right. back on the program. Uh, I think there's just so much more, more to discuss. I really enjoyed our time together. So, uh, anytime. All Thank right. You. Best of luck with the album that's coming out in January. Everybody, keep your eyes peeled for the Gibson Brothers. Uh, go to the chapter marks. You'll see all the dates of where they're playing. And, of course, go to geekdestiny.com. We'll put some information up there as well. All right. Till next time, be well, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at geekdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.